Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we want you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message with our very own Pastor Terrence Wilson. All right, so it is Celebration Sunday. That's what we call Baptism Sundays because they are a celebration. But I got a word about baptism. Who actually is getting baptized today? Just make some noise. Oh, and raise your hand. Praise God. Yes, awesome, awesome. Proud of y'all. It's great. That is great. Um, and, And I just believe that by the time it's all said and done, maybe you didn't come prepared to get baptized, but I believe some other folks will get baptized today. I'm going to preach a word specifically on baptism and just allow God to speak to your heart. I don't want you to feel forced. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I want God to speak to you so that you can make a decision on your own about a public confession of an internal decision. Amen. So um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter three. Who has a Bible? Hold it up. Let me see it. Wave the Bibles in the air and wave them like you just don't care. Yeah, I like big Bibles and I cannot lie. I like that one. That one's big and pink over there. I like that. That one got artwork on it. Yep, that's right. Hold it up. Say, be proud of your Bible. Yes, that's right. I love that. Hair done, nail done, and Bible big. What? I just made that up. I just made that up. Okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will come up on the screen behind me. You can use the Cool Church app. Matthew chapter 3. Verses 13 through 17 read something like this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. That's John the Baptist, if you're wondering. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Hmm. Jesus replied, underline this, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I love that. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And that moment, this is so beautiful. The heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, I believe this voice probably sounded like Mufasa, a.k.a. James Earl Jones from The Lion King, probably sounded like this. This is my son with whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. That was my best James Earl Jones Mufasa impersonation. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Please. Today, in this second part of this series called Divine Disruptions, I've entitled it this, Identity Disruption. Oh, see, I already like this crowd. This this, this, this the crowd that preach with you. Listen, I'm an old school Pentecostal boy, so I ain't mad if you're yelling at me. Listen, I can teach it or I can preach it. Let me tell you the difference. Teaching is telling it, preaching is yelling it. But my yelling it will be based on how much you yell back at me. Amen. All right, all right, all right. So we talking about identity disruptions. Come on, somebody. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And God, I just thank you that before the earth began to spin on its axis, you knew each and every human that was going to be in this place today. You knew all the ones that will watch online, that will hear this message. And God, I pray that I would lie down and you would rise up. 
I pray that these words are not my own, but they come directly from your throne room of grace. God, open hearts, minds, and ears to be open and receptive to a word that will always and only be about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through him. And God, I just pray right now that you touch the one, the one that needs to hear this word the most, the one that is maybe far from you, God, just let them know there is nowhere that they can go or nothing that they can do that you cannot redeem. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. I pray that when this word goes forth, it will not return void. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And everybody said, everybody said, somebody give Jesus a shout of praise today. I love it. Amen, amen, amen. So um, we started a series last week called Divine Disruptions. And a lot of people have a hard time with that word disruption because it has a negative connotation for most people. If we look at the definition of disruption, um, the first definition is a disturbance or problems which inter interrupt an event, activity, or a process. How many of y'all like to get interrupted? No one, right? So disruption may have a negative connotation in society. And as I look at the holidays, I, there may be a lot of people that don't even vibe with the holidays properly because your life has been disrupted. You know, it's been said and many studies show that around these holiday seasons, many people are depressed. Because their life as they once knew it has been disrupted in some sort of way. Maybe they've lost somebody recently. Maybe they're going through a tough time and things are not normal this season because your life has been disrupted. But today I'd like to offer you a different definition of disruption. I love the second um, definition of disruption um, that Webster's gives us because I believe that Often in life, it's not the thing, it's how you think about the thing. So might I offer you another perspective? Disruption is also a radical change to an existing industry or market due to technological innovation. I love that word disruption because although it gets a bad rap, disruption is necessary because disruption is essential to innovation. Disruption is essential to innovation. If the status quo does not change, you cannot grow. Things must be shifted. Some things in your life must be interrupted for God to do what he wants to do through you. There's some things that have just seemed normal and commonplace. And for some people, your dysfunction has become commonplace. So God allows a disruption in your dysfunction so you can walk into your divine destiny. I love disruption because it changes the order of things. And last week, we learned that Jesus is the divine disruptor. See, I know there's people in this place that have been looking at me all year long because in January I said, this was going to be your year. This was going to be the one. God's about to shake 
things up in you. And you said, Pastor, we only got about three more weeks left in this year. And the way I started my year, I'm still in the same place right now. And may I offer you a suggestion? Maybe your life is still the same way because you have not learned to lean into your divine disruption. Not all disruptions are bad. Some are divine. They come directly from the Lord to stop you in your tracks. And I'm here to tell you, if you lean into that disruption, it might be the necessary change that you need to carry you into positive impact for 2024. And here's what I love about our God. He never disrupts you when you expect it. If you expect it, it's not a disruption. But I love our God. He always waits till it seems like for us the last minute. That's why he says things like late in the midnight hour, God comes and turns it around. I don't know who I'm talking to, but it's late in the midnight hour. The year is almost over and the first part of your year has been chaos. But I promise you, you can end better than you started if you lean into the divine disruption because we serve the God that says the best best is yet to come. The best. I'm always believing for the best, but sometimes to get to the best, you got to lean into the disruption. And we ask these questions knowing that Jesus last week is the divine disruptor. He always gets in the middle of people's stuff. I love Jesus. He just never lets you be the way you want to be. He wants you to be the way he designed you to be. So sometimes he's got to get, this is, this is the God we serve. He gets in the middle of your mess. Hey, so pastor, my life messy. You don't want to know. Listen, I don't need to get in the middle of your mess, but Jesus ain't scared of your mess. He wants to disrupt your mess. He wants to clean it up. He wants to turn you around. He wants to shift you. He wants to shake you. He wants to change you. But I asked this question last week, and, and I really it's something that I want you to ponder on. I hope you've been pondering on it all week as maybe you're still awaiting your divine disruption. The question was this. Would you recognize a divine disruption if you saw it? Would you realize it if you were in it? But the other question I asked is, will you be mad when Jesus disrupts you with the truth? See, some of us don't like the truth because we only prescribe to my truth. Our truth. The, the thing you want to believe. Not the thing that's real, the thing you choose to believe. You don't want your truth to be disrupted because that means that you would have to change. And it's hard for people to change, but Jesus disrupts my truth with the truth. For the Bible says that he is grace and truth. So there is one divine truth. Your truth is cool, but your truth is a perspective you have. But there is a truth that trumps your truth is God's truth. And his name is Jesus. Will you get mad when he disrupts you with the truth? You say, why he got to mess up my truth? I like my truth. He wants to give you the truth because only the truth can set you free. Your truth will keep you in bondage. His truth, the truth about Jesus will set you free. And at some point, y'all, in all of our lives, we got to allow Jesus to disrupt our lives to give you the truth that sets you free. Free to do what? Free to just do whatever you want? No, 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 no. No, Jesus didn't give you a license to sin. He didn't give you a license to do what you, you, you want. It's not, it's not taking grace for granted. But, 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 but what does the true free mean to do? It frees you to make a public confession of who Jesus is in your everyday life, which brings me to this celebration Sunday, baptism. 
Baptism is the outward confession of an inward decision. It's a, it's a mark in your life. And if baptism, though, is about a public confession of Jesus, then when I read the scripture in Matthew 3, I have to ask myself, if baptism is about a public confession of my knowledge and my acceptance and my living my life for Jesus, then why did Jesus himself get baptized? Was he confessing himself? Why does Jesus get baptized? And I believe that Jesus does this as, as a divine disruption to change the natural order of things. I believe, and might I suggest to you, that Jesus submits to baptism to disrupt how he identifies with us and how we identify with him. Watch this. Because the truth of the matter is, baptism is not about holding somebody underwater until all the sin leaves them. Because y'all know you've been to, you, you know, been to church and you hear people like, hey, hey, don't be, hey, don't be this person today when we baptize them. Don't be this person today. We baptize somebody under the water. Hold them under longer, pastor. Don't be that. I don't heard that. I heard that. I've heard it. I've heard it. Don't be that. Don't be that person. Oh, he, yeah, he, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, no, it ain't take yet, Pat. Just, he's drowning. He's, he's drowning. Right? When he, when he had his last breath, that's when you bring him back, Pastor. Don't be that person. Don't, don't, don't be that person today. I, I, you have to understand, baptism is, is not about this show of us putting somebody underwater and then bringing them back up. The truth of the matter is identity is the essence of baptism. Identity is the essence of baptism. So well, if that's the truth, then what is identity? Webster's defines it as the fact of being who or what a person or thing is or the characteristics determining who or what a person or thing is. So identity should answer two questions for you in your life, right? It should answer who you are and what defines you. Who you are and what defines you. So what questions, or excuse me, what can we learn about identity through the baptism of Jesus? Let's understand why he himself got baptized. Two points, and I'll be quick, and then we're going to go baptize some people in the church set. From reading Matthew 3, 13, the first question I asked my, or the first statement I want to make is, the identity of Jesus disrupts sin with perfection. The identity of Jesus disrupts sin with perfection. Matthew 3, 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you, you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Verse 13, let's look at it. Let's break this down kind of verse by verse, shall we? It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. What I love about this is that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Jesus made a choice of his own free will to allow himself to be obedient unto his father to get baptized. And the simple thought that I can give you based upon that verse is baptism cannot be forced. It must be chosen. 
It must be something. You can't get baptized because your mama been telling you to get baptized all these years. You can't get baptized because your daddy said. You can't get baptized because you're, you're feeling the conviction. Like, I don't want pastor looking at me funny because I ain't get baptized. That can't be the reason. You have to do it because it is a personal decision. You must choose it. Why? Because when you choose to get baptized, it brings another word into play in your life, and it's called accountability. Account- my, my choosing to get baptized because I want to make a public declaration. This is why you don't get baptized in private. You get baptized in public because people should see it. Why? Because when they see it, then they have to hold you accountable to the action. They have to hold you accountable to the action. And I, like, I personally know people. I love people. I got friends in church. I got friends outside church. They're like, yo, T, man, I love you, man. I love, you know, you be, you, be, you be talking about some stuff and it be real and I be getting like the feels and stuff. But I can't get baptized yet, homie. And I'm like, why? She's like, yo, people going to see me. I'm like, that's the whole point. People want to live lives in secret because they don't want to live lives of accountability. They don't want people to see because they feel like it's going to allow them to still do what they've been doing. But how many of you know you can still do what you've been doing, but God sees? I, I, I love the public declaration part about it because once again, public declaration in my life has made me so accountable. I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, right? Y'all, y'all know that. So, so you, you, see me, you, you see me preach and I pray that the best sermon I preach is not with my mouth. I pray it's with my life. But having that title, being blessed with that, and I, I don't play with that title. I am, I, listen, I am here to serve. I am, not, I am the under shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. I follow him, and I'm praying that he speaks to me so that I can speak to you because I'm here to serve you well. And the church said, with that comes accountability. This title is not just something that allows me to stand up here and, and, and have a microphone and say what I want to say. There's an accountability to it. Because nobody on the planet will listen to anything I said out of this world on this stage if I went outside in my life and did the opposite. So the, 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 the title pastors created some real accountability in my life. And it's, it's so funny. I've been doing this for like 20 years now. So now, because I've been doing this in the, practically in the communities that I've grown up in, now when I go certain places in the community, there are people that know me in this setting that have yet to see me outside in that setting. So when they do, it makes me laugh like they're shocked, right? They, 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 and they, this happens to me all the time. I was, just last week, I was in Walgreens. I was in Walgreens and I know I caught somebody off guard because if you saw me at this particular Walgreens on this particular day, I had my shorts on, my knees was ashy, I had my sandals on. I just left my house to go get some shaving cream, y'all. I ain't had my fit on, all that stuff, you know. They already say I don't dress like a pastor. What does a pastor dress like, by the way? But imagine seeing me in my house shorts, my ashy knees, and my flip-flops looking for some shaving cream. Y'all, I look like George Jefferson earlier this week. All this right here, just, just grown out. None right here. Whole ceiling missing. I was like, I got to do something about this. I got to do something. So I went to Walgreens to do my thing. And I'm trying to be incognito. You know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to be low key. You know, trying to be low key. And I, as I'm going to grab the Gillette, I hear out the corner of my ear, Pastor Terry! The problem. 
problem with that is when people say Pastor Terrence, I have, have seen me in the movies at the grocery store. It don't matter. As soon as somebody say Pastor, everybody else will start do this. And then and then come to folk with the question, oh, you a pa- oh, you a pastor. Start hearing all kinds of life stories. I love it. I love it. As, as crazy as that is and as annoying as that can be, I'm thankful to God for it every time it happens. Because you know what it does for me? It keeps me accountable because people know who I am and what I do. And they want to see if the same person that's up here telling them about Jesus is actually living Jesus when they get outside. Catch this. This will bless you. Accountability creates authenticity. Because people know I could either be fake and try to put up some front about who I am or, once again, I've been doing this long enough. Listen, hey, let me just bless the person that's trying to be fake in this room. That requires too much energy. I would rather just be me all the time. The same person you see here, if you know me or you've been around me at any other space in life, you know is the same person that you're going to see outside because God holds me accountable to the position Then I must operate in authenticity and be the same thing on and off the pulpit because I don't want people looking at me and giving Jesus a bad rap because of something that I do on the outside. That's why I can say follow me as I follow after Christ because I make sure whether I'm on the pulpit or in the parking lot I represent my God the same way authentically my authenticity comes from my accountability amen so I I, I love this because the public declaration makes you accountable but then look at what happens in verse 14 John tried to deter him saying I need to be baptized by you and You come to me? John is a very special person in the Bible. Because remember last week when I told you that Jesus, he went to the temple, he read the scroll of Isaiah, and he told him about his mission, man. I came to preach the year of the Lord's favor. I came to set the captives free, man. I came to give sight to the blind. Y'all remember that? The people in his hometown of Nazareth got so mad at him because they was like, wait, you talking all this stuff. You talking about you the fulfillment of prophecy. And they, they did this. They said, ain't you Joseph's son? People at his hometown. And Jesus was like, man, a prophet is never respected in his, in, his, in his hometown. Because why? They were too familiar with him. That's what most people do, right? John is different. Because John, we see something special about him in scripture. John gave Jesus respect his entire life. As a matter of fact, John gives Jesus respect before he's ever even born. Bible says when Mary, the pregnant Mary shows up and meets the pregnant Elizabeth, his little cousin John was in the belly. He started doing the Harlem shake inside when Jesus pulls up in the womb. He starts boxing. He starts shouting. He starts doing praise dances inside of his mother's belly just at the presence of Jesus. And he has not seen him yet. He has not heard him yet. But his presence was enough for him to acknowledge it. Y'all, whether you hear Jesus or see Jesus, is his presence enough for you to acknowledge it? Oh my goodness. I could preach that all day. We serve the God whose presence is powerful. Whether you see him or hear him, he's still in your life doing something. 
He says, I am doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? It's not, a, it's not that he's not doing it. It's can you perceive it? John perceives it in the womb. In the womb, he's like, oh, whoever this other baby is over here is about to shake some things up. He does that in the womb. He comes out, gets delivered. He starts to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And then John, he starts operating his, in his purpose as the baptizer, as the precursor to Jesus, pointing people back to God. It was about reformation. It was about repentance. And he's baptizing people in the wilderness. And people think John is crazy. But he's like, nah, I'm telling y'all, there is one that's going to come after me whose sandals I am not even fit to untie, I promise you. And then he sees Jesus and says, look! Repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Look, the Lamb of God. Look, the person I'm pointing at, like, who, what? He says, Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. If anybody was going to be familiar with Jesus, shouldn't have been one of his own family members? John was his cousin. If anybody was going to be familiar with Jesus, it should have been John. But this is why John is special, because what I want you to know is that the closer that you get to Jesus, it should not make you more familiar with him so that you take his power and his divinity away. But the closer that you get to Jesus, the more energy for life that you should have, the more excited that you need to get, the more you need to praise him, the more you need to talk about him, the more you need to have energy and enthusiasm so the people around around you know who you have been with. I love it because my familiarity does not snatch the divinity away from Jesus, but what it requires me to do because I'm so familiar with him is to preach the gospel and get other people excited about Jesus. Don't get so familiar with Jesus that you take his power away. So I love John. He's different. He's like, no, 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 no. Hey, y'all know who this is? John lived a life from the womb to the tomb, always like, do y'all realize who this is? So I, I love this because John says, hey, I can't, I can't do this. And then look how Jesus responds. You better preach, baby. <laughs> She's like, y'all know who this is? Y'all know where we at? Verse 15, Jesus replies, let it be so now. It is proper to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I want you to underline that because this is special and this is where like the theology starts to really kick in here, right? Because Jesus says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Does Jesus's baptism fulfill his entire earthly purpose? It's a simple answer. No, no it does not. Jesus was redemption before creation. So his purpose was to redeem our sins through death on a cross and through resurrection from that death. Amen. That was his full purpose. But he says, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus' baptism didn't fulfill his entire earthly mission to redeem mankind, but it was a necessary step in the process. He's like, we have to do this or the other thing can't even happen. Let it be so now. We must do this to fulfill all righteousness. Why, why, why does he have to do this to fulfill all righteousness? You see, Jesus being baptized as a man, because we know he was all God and all man, amen? 
Jesus being baptized as a man helps to solidify his place as a human. And you have to hear that. Because if he's not all man, then he cannot redeem us. Right? All man, all God. So Jesus getting baptized like, all right, I'm submitting to my human form. Right? But he was all God and all man. So why does he get baptized? He's baptized to identify with his fallen and sinful creation. Jesus uses baptism to identify with us. He can redeem us because he identifies with us as one of us. I'm going to qualify that with scripture. Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus had to go through everything we would ever have to go through as a human. And because of that, he is our great high priest. Why? Because he gives us empathy. When you've been through what somebody else has gone through, you have empathy for them. You have compassion for them. Amen? You have an understanding of who they are. Now, does Jesus have to do this in order to save mankind? Well, in essence, Jesus is God. God can do whatever he wants, right? God could have snapped his fingers and gave us salvation if he wanted to because he's God. But this makes me love God so much more because him coming as a human and living out a human experience to save us shows me how far our God was willing to go for us. Yeah. How far he was, he was like, yo, yeah, snapping my fingers ain't enough. Uh, saying a prayer ain't enough. No, 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 no. I'm going to show them how to do this myself. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And y'all, I'm so thankful that we serve a God that fully knows us and understands us. There's other gods that people ask you to serve and they are a God that sits on high that never empathizes with their creation. And our God does it on another level. He says, I'm not just going to empathize them. I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to wrap myself in flesh. I'm going to walk this thing out because they need to see that it can be done. And I'm going to show them how to do it. So he fully knows me and understands me. Say, God knows me and understands me. Jesus knows what temptation feels like, so he understands what it feels like when we fall. He understands, y'all. Some of y'all are like, oh, Jesus, I messed up. You don't understand. He does, because he's been tempted, so he understands it. Jesus knows what heartache feels like and understands why we hurt so much. Jesus knows what betrayal feels like and understands why so many of us may have trust issues. Jesus, he knows what pain feels like and he understands why it's so hard for some of us to move forward. But here's the gospel, friends. Not only does he know it and understands it, he's already overcome it. So if he can overcome it, we can overcome it too. For the Bible says that we are more than conquerors, y'all. You don't have to sit in your pain. He's overcome it. You don't have to sit in your shame. He's overcome it. You don't have to sit 
in your depression, he's overcoming. You don't have to sit in your anxiety, he's overcoming. You don't have to sit in your mess, he's already overcoming. As a matter of fact, I already said it, he's willing to get in the middle of your mess so that you don't have to be a victim, you could be a victor because we have victory in Jesus' name. Jesus is the only God that lived the life of his own creation to connect with them, to connect with us. I love this because it just shows me that God's willing to get down on my level. I have a child. I love my child. She's a 13-year-old, but I remember when she was a little one. And you know little ones at some point on their own, they, they got friends. They, they with you. They with their friends. And they start hearing stuff in the world. They start watching stuff on TV. They get all kinds of information from everywhere. And you got to try your best as a parent to give them the right information to combat all the nonsense information they got. But it doesn't matter how much you try to protect them. The world is still going to try to get a hold of them. And then one day, you're going to be sitting there minding your own business, thinking your little child all innocent and stuff. And they're going to ask you a question that you're going to have to come up with an answer for. And I remember that first time my baby girl asked me a question. She's like, Dad, where do babies come from? I said, Lord. I said, God, help me. God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you allowed her to ask me this question? She was, she was little, you know, the kids be on the playground talking all kind of nonsense or whatever. And what do parents do? Parents, instead of, 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 of saying the full truth of what something is because they're little, we try to tell them in a way that they would understand. And we come down to their level. So, you know, when kids start asking about babies, what, what, what do we do? We start telling them fairy tales. We tell them about the birds and the bees. We tell them about the stork. Oh, yeah, yeah you, 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 you got flued out here. Y'all ain't saved because you know what that meant. You got, you got, you got flu, you got flu, flew it out. Hey, oh, the story, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, believe that as long as you can. What, what, what are we doing? We're not telling them the full truth. We're trying to come down to their level to give them an understanding about something. Jesus was a master at this. This is why so many times in scriptures, what, what does Jesus do? He speaks in parables. He tells you stories about things to, to connect with you on the level. Oftentimes you hear Jesus talking about farming. He'll say stuff about planting and, and, and sowing seed and, and crops and things like that. Why? Because of the region of Galilee that he was in, they were, there were a lot of farmers there. So he says, I'm going to speak in a language that they understand because this, this is how commerce operates in this area. They know farming. So I'm going to give them secrets of the kingdom of God at a level they understand in a way that they can deal with it. And look, look he, he didn't stop there. He says, you know what? I, want, I need some dudes that's going to help me carry this gospel around the world. You know what? Let me go find some fishermen. Did he look at Peter the first time he saw him and says, Peter, hey, you and me, we're going to save the world. That's not what he said. What did he say? I'm going to make you fishers. He speaks to fishermen in a fisherman's language. Sidebar about Peter. It's so funny, and I'm so glad that, that, that Jesus found Peter because Peter was a terrible fisherman without Jesus. You ever notice like every time in the scripture you look about Peter, you look at Peter and he's fishing, he's never catching fish. He's like, he was out fishing. He caught nothing. Like there's multiple times it says this about Peter. And then Jesus comes in. It's like, man, put your net on the other side, homie. He's a trash fisherman without Jesus. But I love that because Jesus comes in and speaks to him on his level. Instead of saying, hey, you and me going to change the world. He says, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. 
I'm going to teach you how to catch people. This is the God that meets us on our level. Because when you want someone to know you connect with them, you meet them at their level of understanding. This is, y'all, we serve the God that identifies with us at every step of our life. God could have come down. Jesus could have came in a flash of lightning like Thor and stood there and said, hey, I'm about to run this joint. Does he do that? No. How does he come? Baby. Baby. And not, not a rich baby. He comes as the poorest of poor babies. He comes humble in a, in a, in a manger, in a, in, a, in a feeding trough, if you will. He's, he's there with, with the animals. He comes as, as, as a baby humble because he wants us to understand, man, hey, you think you low? You ain't, you've never been lower than me. But not only, like, so, so Jesus, he has to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So, so Jesus wasn't just a baby. Jesus was like a three or four-year-old. You ever seen three or four-year-olds? They crazy. They just be doing stuff. Imagine Jesus. They're random. That's the, like, they just do random stuff. Right? Y'all, Jesus experienced it. I think some of y'all think like Jesus, three-year-old was like, oh. No, he played. He had an imagination. It's a kid. But, but just like that, he, he was an adolescent, y'all. Some of y'all look at y'all teenagers like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Because they get to that age where like nothing's exciting. They don't want to do nothing. What you want to do? Nothing. Jesus, what you doing? Nothing, mom. <laughs> if I was married, I'd be scared. I wouldn't tell Jesus to do nothing. Jesus, you better go. I mean, Jesus, could you please clean your room? Sure, mom. He was an adolescent, man. He had to deal with that. Jesus probably had acne. Like some of these uh, middle schoolers, Jesus probably had body odor. Don't act like y'all don't know. See the parents laughing because they know. It's like, yo, put, hey, like, I'm like, did you shower today? Yeah, go again. You don't think, you don't think Mary Joseph had to deal with that? Je Listen, Jesus was a human, y'all. Not only was he adolescent, he was a young adult. Oh, I don't know which way to go. What job do I pick? You're a carpenter. Your dad was a carpenter. Just be a carpenter. Right? But he doesn't just identify at birth as a kid, as an adolescent, as a young adult. He had... Listen, he identifies even in death. He went through every phase. What am I trying to tell you? Jesus does not skip any step in the process as it pertains to being human. He was willing to disrupt our sin with his perfection because he has empathy that allows us, allows him to fulfill his true purpose. And he would not have that empathy if he had skipped some steps on the process. He has another level of empathy, not only because he made us, but because he's been us. He's been us. So he has the empathy in order to take the full punishment of our sins because he was not just all God, he was all man. I want to read a verse to you that we often quote, but we never quote the verses before it and after it. And I always tell you, that's a dangerous thing to do because you need the context of verses, amen? We've quoted often in church, Romans 3, uh, 23, for all have sinned and what? 
there is like no hope in that. For all have sinned. We say all have sinned. We say it like so we all feel better. It's like, oh, I ain't the only messed up one in this room. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But can I tell you, if you read the verses before that and after that, you see the redemption from the fact that all of us have sinned. Look at Romans 3.23, excuse me, 3.22 through 24. The righteousness is, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Who is it for? There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the best part underlying this. And all are justified freely. Another word for justified is saved freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. His perfect nature disrupts our sinful nature. And because of grace, you are justified when you identify with him. When you say, hey, Jesus, you are my God. I am yours and you are mine. There's, ju there's justification. There's redemption that comes with your identification of who he is. I love this because Jesus, essentially, he swaps places with us. He says, I'm going to give you everything I deserve and I'm going to get everything that you deserve. What do we deserve? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus takes our death and gives us his life because he came to disrupt our sin with his perfection. But here's the final point. The identity of Jesus disrupts the natural with the supernatural. If that don't get you excited, it's one thing to know that he saved me. It's another thing to know he empowers me. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out the water. At that moment, the heavens opened up and he said he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. The other reason that Jesus submits to baptism is not just to identify with us as humans, as a lost creation, but it's a representation of his past life to his present and future purpose. What are you talking about? Well, when we get baptized, it's supposed to symbolize the end of sin and the start of sanctification. What's sanctification? The process in which we become like Jesus. You get saved and then you ever, you ever hear believers say, I'm saved and sanctified? What are they actually saying? I'm saved and I'm growing. I'm saved and I'm learning. I'm saved and I'm changing. I'm saved and I'm getting better. Right? Saved and sanctified. So, when we get baptized, it's supposed to mean an end to sin and a start to sanctification. But why does Jesus get baptized? He had no sin. Jesus didn't sin. So when he gets baptized, he's not leaving sin in the water. He's not burying sin. It's different for Jesus. So for him, it's not an end to sin. It's an end to obscurity. End to obscurity. The end of his past. Because before this moment, Jesus 
He's not really doing a bunch of miracles. He's, he's, doing, he's doing little things here and there, but he hasn't done anything big. And he's like, yo, keep it on the low, please. Don't tell anybody. He gets baptized in this moment and there is an end to his obscurity, the obscurity of his past. And when he comes up out the water, he is baptized to the purpose of his public ministry. Jesus is like, yeah, I, I'm about to show y'all who I really am. It's time for me to come out of hiding. So after baptism, Jesus begins to publicly walk in his purpose. Publicly walk in his purpose. And this, watch verses 16 and 17, because this is like a coronation, man. This is like Jesus getting ordained in front of everybody. It's like, hey, my son's about to operate in power. You better respect him. He was in obscurity before. You tried to clown him talking about in this Joseph son. I'm about to show you who he really is right now. Watch this. Verses 16 and 17, it shows us this beautiful picture that we don't get to see in other places of scripture of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in one place at one time. It's a beautiful picture. And it's important because, y'all, this is not, Jesus did not have to get baptized as a show of repentance. This is not a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism of identification. If you grab that right there, you're going you're gonna to get it. It's not repentance. It's identification. Jesus gets baptized to show sinners I am being in this moment identified to you as the son of God with God the father's full approval. This is my son with whom I am well pleased to operate with the power of the Holy Spirit unified and working together to save you. All three at one time coming together for one purpose. So because Jesus fully submits to being a human, the Holy Spirit has to descend on him like a dove in order to empower him because that's what the Holy Spirit does to you. It empowers you to preach, to teach, to perform miracles and to have the discipline to overcome temptation. It's why he gets baptized before he goes out into the wilderness. For the Bible says in Matthew 4.1, it says Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. He gets the spirit. He gets empowered and the spirit says, go this way. Go where? To be tempted. Why? Because this Holy Spirit will always take you places you don't want to go to do things that you can't do without it. Who wants to go to the wilderness? Not me. But if the Holy Spirit says go, I'm going to go because I know he's empowering me when I get there to do what God has called me to do. So the Holy Spirit descends on him to empower him because Jesus in his human nature as a man, as flesh and bone, he is powerless. We are all powerless save the Holy Spirit operating within us when healings happen, when miracles happen. It's not the man of God because he touches people. It's the Holy Spirit flowing through that man or woman of God that does the miracle. And it's the same with Jesus. His flesh comes to this earth and it gets empowered. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. Why a dove? Why? I, I love this because the Holy Spirit power is swift like a dove. It's soft like a dove. It's gentle like a dove. It brings peace that passes all understanding like a dove. It's harmless. It's not, Jesus did not come to harm you. He came to help you. And it bears, this is the best part, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness.
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Bible says in Galatians 5, against such things there is no law. Because when the Holy Spirit is on you, you need to exemplify, you need to live out, you need to act out the fruit of the Spirit. For the Bible says you can tell a tree by its fruit. So one beautiful gesture of humility and obedience through baptism, Jesus' purpose has been revealed and approved by God in front of all the people. Yo, they heard the voice of God so they know there was approval. The Holy Spirit falls and empowers him and the man submits humbly and obediently to the task of baptism. Why? He had to allow it to be so to fulfill all righteousness. I I love this because Jesus, not only does he identify with us, but his baptism lets us know he was not just human. He identifies with us, but his baptism lets us know he was not just natural. When that Holy Spirit dropped on him, he says, hey, I know y'all just think I'm natural. Hey, I know you just think I'm Joseph and Mary's son, but I'm not natural. In this moment right now, God is affirming and approving that I'm identifying as supernatural. And I don't know about you, but I need Jesus in my life because I need his super to disrupt my natural in the natural I'm strong but in the supernatural he gives me the joy of the Lord that is my strength in the natural I might be able to work and provide for myself but in his supernatural he opens up the windows of heavens for me and he pours out abundance on me because he is Jehovah Jireh my provider in the natural I might know something but in the supernatural He pours out wisdom on me in order to lead God's people in the natural. I might be a little shy and I might not know what to say and I might want to operate in fear. But in the supernatural, I know that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So when I don't know what to say, when I don't know what to pray, I just speak out what the Holy Spirit tells me so I can do what God has called me to do. If you believe. Save it. His supernatural disrupts the natural order of things in order for us to walk in his purpose. So today, what you need to hear is that baptism is a divine disruption of our identity. I told you two of the definitions of identity when we started. One being the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. And the second being the characteristics of determining who or what the person or thing is. So once again, identity answers the questions, who you are and what defines you. But there's another definition that Webster's has out there. And this identity is the identity of an object serving to establish who the holder, owner, or where is by bearing their name and often other details 
such as a signature. Oh my goodness gracious. Lord help me. Jesus. Y'all, I'm an artist. Before I was a pastor, I was an artist and I'm still an artist and I love to make beautiful things and I like to create beautiful things. And I went to college and I got my master's in art, so I, I know how to draw. I've been drawing since I was three years old. At least that's how my mother tells it. <laughs> and um, when I draw now, maybe could you put up maybe some of the... So that's a drawing I did to Angela Davis. This, y'all, this is before AI, okay? Listen, I draw stuff. I don't trace stuff. I draw stuff, okay? You can put up the next one. Chadwick Boseman drawing I did to him. Even the, the drawing of Billie Holiday on my shirt, something I drew. But I want you to flip to the next slide. There's never a time where I draw something that I don't put my signature on it. I put my signature on it because it helps the world identify who made the piece. (laughs) It's an identifying mark. It's a stamp. It's a seal. It's a sign of approval that says I'm pleased with what I've done. I'm pleased with what I've created. And no matter how many times the piece of artwork is purchased, no matter how many walls it may go up on, no matter how far in the world it travels, no matter how much the artwork is even devalued by somebody else, it does not change the fact that my signature is still on that piece of artwork. And everybody knows, no matter if that that piece of work is in the Louvre Museum or in a trash can or a dumpster somewhere, everybody knows that the one person created that piece because their signature establishes my work is established with me as a holder or an owner of the original artwork because of my signature. And I need somebody in this room to know today. It reminds me of a verse that I've heard so many times in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. I'm getting emotional because the word calls you a masterpiece, but so many so many people don't feel like that. We are God's masterpiece. Created. He made, not only did he make you, he made you with a purpose. Created us anew with Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. I'm here to tell you whether people choose to prop you up in this life or not. Whether you're established, whether you feel like you got it all together or you feel like somebody's throwing you away. You got to know and you got to understand that no matter how far you go, no matter how far you run, God wrote his name on to establish you. To let you know that nobody else can take ownership over you. You belong to him. He belongs to you. And all you got to do is trust him and know 
and identify with who he is. Listen, I'm not concerned with your pronouns today. I got a pronoun of my own that I identify with. And I know this is a hot button issue, but here's how I choose to identify. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. And Jesus' name is written on my heart once and for all. It doesn't matter where I run. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter if you approve of me or if nobody approves of me. God approved of me because he wrote his name on me. If you believe it, say amen. Before baptism, you identify with your truth. But when we get baptized, we show who we identify with and what we identify as. I identify with the truth that sets me free. Not my truth, because all my truth has ever done is keep me in bondage. But the truth of who Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's the truth that frees me. No matter how far I go, no matter how broken I feel, no matter what people said about me, no matter what trauma I've experienced, I can shut out all that noise because I have been signed, sealed, and delivered. And when I get baptized, I show the world who I am. And I show the world whose I am. And I identify as a child of God. If you believe that, say amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you so much for tuning in. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends and family to be a blessing to their lives as well. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.